I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Rochelle B. Weinstein is the USA Today and Amazon bestselling author of books like When We Let Go, This Is Not How It Ends, Somebody's Daughter, Where We Fall, The Morning After, and What We Leave Behind. Rochelle spent her early years always with a book in hand. Raised by the likes of Sidney Sheldon and Judy Bloom. she's a former entertainment industry executive and splits her time between sunny South Florida and the mountains of North Carolina. When she's not writing, Rochelle can be found on Miami's NBC6 in the mix, sharing book recommendations, teaching workshops at Nova Southeastern University, hiking, reading, and finding some of the world's best nachos. Her latest novel is What You Do For Me. Welcome, Rochelle. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me. Beautiful as ever. Please. Not as beautiful as you. Mutual adoration society here. I love that. (laughs) That's the way we roll. You are a member of a tightly knit Jewish community, and I'm guessing this was bittersweet as your book launched last week. How are you? Chris, first of all, thank you for asking. It's a tough time, and it's also a tough question right now. I teach a class at Nova Southeastern University in the Alvin Sherman Library. I teach an adult education workshop on publishing and about brand visibility and whatnot, the two weeks before my launch, two Saturdays. And in both classes for totally different topics, I did say, you can do everything right. You could check every single box. And there's so many variables involved in publishing. You could have a 9-11 on your launch day. So there's so many things that are out of your control. And little did I know that we were going to have Israel's 9-11 on my launch week. And listen, first, it was disheartening. It was upsetting as a mother, as a Jewish woman. The week was incredibly painful. And I had to figure out how I was going to juggle something that I'd worked on for so incredibly long and, and so hard and put all my heart and soul into while the world was mourning and grieving. And a couple people said it beautifully. I know Jenny Mullen said it beautifully about, you know, I think she said finding space. Um, I don't remember the direct quote, but Linda Lloydman said that the heart is big enough for joy and for grief. Linda Lloydman, I'm stealing that right from her. And I decided, listen, I did it very tactfully coming out. Book World was going on. And I was thanking anybody who tagged me and anyone who had a, you know, any type of articles. But I was very careful about curating my content, you know, to be respectful. As I was going through it, and I was thinking about my book in particular, because this book was a departure from my typical like emotional read. And I was thinking if I had one of my emotional reads coming out, like how great would that have been during this time? And this book in particular, I said to my husband this morning, I go, maybe this book was meant to come out at this time because of the music and because it was such a, I think, an uplifting story. And I felt like the world needed that this week. So I've been seeing like all these comments. I mean, first of all, everybody's been so incredibly supportive about supporting Jewish authors, which is wonderful. And But how music and books have the power to transport us and take us away from pain. 
they're an escape. If I was asked, like, what do I want anybody to get out of this book? It's very different today than if it was three weeks ago. And that's for just a moment to be taken away from that pain, to just be absorbed in music and forget for a minute the world's troubles. It's a really hard time and a slippery slope to put a book out right now, but your rabbi will tell you life has to go on. So we have to live because if we don't live, then we're letting the enemies win. Well, you put that so beautifully and Linda put that so beautifully. It was just like the last few weeks. I'm going to sound Texas hickey now, but Tim (laughs) McGraw put out a song talking about how music frames our experiences and how it's not the song by itself isn't the event. It's the song that falls at the same time that this event, whether it's falling in love or having your heart broken or whatever, and you putting out this book during this hard time is a beautiful balance to give people that distraction and that happy place. Songs bring people some sense of relief or feeling understood when nobody else understands you. What do you do? You listen to your music. And oh, it's, think- it's so cathartic. And it's, yeah. you know, you see online, some people don't even know what to say, what to do. Should I post? Should I not post? And to be honest, sometimes like listening to a song, it taps into your emotions and you finally know what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really therapeutic, actually. I find for writing, there are times I get kind of in a rut and I can listen to an audiobook and it mm-hmm. usually does the trick. And then sometimes I need to listen to music. And it's amazing yeah. to have a line in a song and oh, yeah. Amazon all, can be picking the, the list for me. And all the time. Oh, I need that. I'll be listening to a song on the radio and I'll be like, oh my God, that's the title of my next book. Just a line. And then I can form a whole entire book around that line because the line is so evocative and so moving. Yes, no, that's really incredible that you think like that as well. Wow. You can find so much in music. And, and you know, when you think about it, poetry is, is fiction boiled down. You know, it could be nonfiction. But I mean, when you think about it, that is the large format boiled down right. to the smallest right. format. And music is poetry. So it really gets to the heart of things. And so with that said, let's talk about this book, What You Do For Me. And it has earned rave reviews from countless notable authors. Annabelle Monahan, author of Nora Goes Off Script, said, Sometimes a book gets everything exactly right. The ultimate love story and a heart-pumping mystery all wrapped up in A Daisy Jones and the Six Five. What you do for me is storytelling perfection. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, Rochelle, give us the rundown. She's the best, Annabelle. In fact, I'm in conversation with her tonight in Rye, New York. So I'm going to let her know that you were quoting her today. Okay. So, well, first I'll tell you the inspiration for the book and then what it's about. So, you know, speaking of songs on the radio, 1996, I think it was, I always loved the song. Was it 1996? My gosh, my dates are getting all messy. I fell in love with the song, Hey There, Delilah. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, and never got sick of it after playing it endless times. And Being ever the curious, I learned that Tom Higginson, the lead singer for the Plain White Tees, met the real-life Delilah in a Chicago bar, and she unfortunately had a boyfriend, but he said to her, well, I'm going to write you a song. And I'm sure some people thought that was kind of stalkerish. I, on the other (laughs) hand, thought that was like one of the most romantic things in the world. I mean, come on, a man writing you a song? 
Sure pissed the boyfriend off. They did not end up together, but he did end up taking her to the Grammys. He was nominated for a Grammy. And I was just so disappointed because here was this like beautiful, loving, touching, like evocative song. And I'm like, how could they not end up together? Like I needed this to be like the quintessential love story. So, you know, I've been, I've been, I'm known as like the emotionally layered tissue author. And I kind of wanted to take another path something a little bit more, you know, high concept, edgy. And I was like, what if I just decided to reimagine this story with wholly different characters and entirely different ending, you know, and to the song, Hey there, Delilah. And, you know, I have contacts in the music business and I'll get them on board. And I'm, you know, I was thinking to myself, this is the kind of story like you read about and you're like, Oh my God, like, I wish I came up with this idea. Like, Oh, I thought about something. And then someone else does it. And I just was like, I'm doing it. So wrote the story. Hey there, Delilah's never mentioned in the book. The song is called What You Do To Me, which is a line from the song. We did get lyric approval from Tom Higginson. It was a nightmare to get the lyric approval. And then Tom wrote the forward for the book. And it is wow. just the most beautiful, beautiful. Like I cry every single time I read it. I'm like, oh, it was funny. He said to me, will, will you write my next song, my next album? And I go, will you write my next book? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the mutual adoration club also. And, you know, it was one of the most challenging books I've ever written, but I'm super proud of it. And now I'll tell you what it's about. So we know what it was inspired by, but it's the story of Cecilia James. She's like a 26-year-old Rolling Stone reporter, and she has this estranged relationship with her father. She lost her mother. She's filled with all this resentment that her dad, you know, moved on with another woman, and, and it's always sort of inhibited her relationship with her boyfriend, Pete, and she's very hyper focused on her job. Nobody's ever figured out who the song, What You Do To Me, was written for. It's this artist, Eddie V. Nobody knows who was the muse. And she falls upon a clue and she makes it her life's work to find this woman and to find Eddie because there's this big tragedy in his life that happened and he's living this life of anonymity. And she believes if she can bring them together and give them their happy ending, then maybe she could have her happy ending. So it's told in dual timeline, 1970s in Miami, 1980 Miami, and then 1990 Los Angeles. And it's really two love stories bound together by this single love song. It sounds like it has a little bit of an almost famous vibe too with the Rolling Stone. And I loved that. I thought that was was a really cool story. Loved, loved, loved. You have built and rebuilt the family saga each time in a different, uniquely interesting way with each of your novels. This time you deviated and you created drama within pop culture history. What was the experience of writing it like in comparison to writing the family sagas that you wrote? I had so much fun with this book. And I think in my writing career, I'm just at a different level. And I'm not saying that I'm a better writer. I'm just saying I was ready to try new things with my writing and my storytelling. I've also in the last year you've seen, I was on NBC six news once a month. I was their book contributor and I do a blog for like books by women.org. So I'm a huge reader to begin with, but I was reading even more because, you know, you're getting arcs every minute of the day. And then there's this pressure to read, 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 read. And I have to tell you the books that I was really drawn to were these high concepts, edgy, 
you know, I was writing what I was familiar with, what I was comfortable with. I was a journal writer always. So I'm used to writing the sappy, depressing, you know, psychological stuff in my journals. But the books that were exciting me were these, you know, Mary Jane, Allie Larkin's books, Alison Wynn. I've just switched gears a little bit and tried to play with a different writer personality, I guess. And it was scary. And putting this book out, I mean, it's my seventh book. I'm pretty comfortable with releasing books at this point. Like I don't get like cuckoo crazy. And I am actually grateful to have Amazon as my publisher, because especially in a time like this, they're like, don't worry, Rochelle, you know, we've got your back. You know, that was really, really, really comforting for me. I remember Pillow Talk with Bear, that's my husband, saying, I'm really nervous about this one. He's like, why? It's your seventh book. Everybody loves it. And I'm like, because it's a departure. And, you know, some of my readers are looking for a certain type of a book. And listen, there's still layers of emotion in this and there's psychology in it. But there's like a mystery in it for me. Like it's the mystery of the song. Like that was a real, you know, departure from what I was used to. So I didn't know some readers are really in it for that emotional, cathartic, cry my eyeballs out. And, you know, that's okay. I'm looking to diversify here. (laughs) And it's exciting and scary to try. And you think it sucks all the way along that you're writing it. You're like, oh, and this sucks. Not only is it nerve wracking and scary and what challenging, but then you're reading it and you're like, oh, and it's not even good. (laughs) But I'll bet when the galley came, you looked at it and went, wow, I wrote this. It's pretty, pretty special. I really have an unnatural ability to separate myself from my books that almost to a fault where when I even listen to you talk about like what Annabelle said about my book, I'm like, I don't feel that it's me. I feel like it's this imposter person. Like I just syndrome. But it's just, it's just. I don't know. It's just easier for me to step out of the author role than to just, I don't know. Um, it's easier for me to, to, to lift up my buddies and, and to support other authors and to like, it's just weird. It makes me uncomfortable. And I also don't read my books. Once they come out, I don't open a page. I don't listen to my audible. Sorry. I heard Stacey Gonzalez was amazing. Um, <laughs> I just can't do it because the, the nitpicker in me will be like, Oh my God, this word is terrible. And I would have chosen this word and I would have chosen that word. And it's just, I just, I let my baby go. I am a very, very bad parent. I just let her. No, my that's baby a great go. parent. Well, I mean, listen, you it, letting them go and like never like talking to them again is different. There's so there's but you're a little talking bit about of a, them and you're yeah. building them up. Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice try. You brought up building up your writer friends and authors talk about the importance of finding community among, among other writers. And sometimes it's harder depending on where you live and thank heaven for the internet. But not only have I found you to be a shining example of a leader among us, I mean, you are so generous, so gracious. You've been a friend and supporter to me, but I know I'm not alone, many others. And I'm bringing this up because I've seen the other side of publishing. You know, your books come out, the PR lands. Then at some point you're sitting in the dark asking yourself, can I do this again? <laughs> and you are all alone on, again, back to the cliff. You are all alone on that cliff going, I don't know what to do. And people like you are few and far between, but they're the ones that say, okay, wait, let's talk about this. You can do this. And so here's what I want to know. All the generosity you give to others, how do you find space to take care of your stuff? And then yet you can see that 
space for other people? First, it's do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I know how hard I struggled at the beginning with self-publishing. And I, I knew all the finger pointing and lack of credibility that came along with it. And I survived it and I achieved my publishing goals by doing it. And I don't know that it would have happened any other way. So I know what it's like to be in the trenches. You know, you look at all these authors and you think it came so easily. Maybe it did. It didn't come easily for me. And I know the people who helped me along the way. And I will never forget those people. So it is very easy and it is very cathartic for me to be able to do it for others. When I hear myself saying to you, like at the beginning of the conversation, like, you know, move forward. That also lifts me up, like lifting somebody else up. You know how I just said I don't get pleasure hearing about my book accolades? Mm-hmm. I, I I get more joy being able to help other writers and authors. The other day, this random girl was on Instagram. I'm assuming I follow her and she follows me. And she wrote like, it was like five slides. And the first one was, my first book came out. Let me tell you about my experience. And it was a beautiful post. Like she had it like gorgeous graphics and nice fonts and everything. I mean, she put a lot of effort into it and she listed everything that she had done for the book, all the money she had spent. She was really honest and open and, and vulnerable. And she's like, and this is how many books I've sold. And this is how much money I put into it. And I just don't know what to do anymore because I just don't know if I could do this business anymore. I mean, this was a complete stranger. I have none of, I mean, barely, I don't think any of my author friends followed her. I don't even know how I got to her. I, shared it with two of my author friends. And I said, I think I need to reach out to this girl. Mm. I felt the depths of her despair because I had been there. And my husband yelled at me. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you have a book coming out in a week. He's like, what are you doing? Well, the funny part is I did reach out to her and on, on, on Instagram chat. And she's like, thank you so much, but I'm not in a position to pay any more money for a mentor, which I cracked up. Oh. And I was like, I'm just trying to be your friend. (laughs) Well, in this world, nobody's really that like Mm. kind. So I said, listen, I'm not an actual mentor, but your, your post spoke to me. And we spoke the other day. I made time to talk to her and I don't make any, you know, promises. And, you know, it's very hard for me to just read manuscripts right now because I'm reading a ton, but we talked about what she'd done. And, and she at one point said, I'm crying right now. And I go, why? And she goes, cause there's one thing you just said to me that just really stuck out. And I said, what? And she goes, you said it's too early in your career for you to give up mm. one book. And she goes, and you're right. She goes, it's been one book. She's like, you know, I've got to pick myself up by the bootstraps. I got to keep going. I said, well, that's what I wanted to hear. Listen, the community has been very generous with me. So it's very easy to be generous back. Normally on the weekends, I'll look to see who I'm interviewing that week. And then I put together my research, my notes over mm-hmm. the weekend and prep. And I saw your name and I've I've been drafting my next project. And Sometimes I'm getting questioning myself because it's again something different than what I did before the first two. And and I saw your name and it was like my heart just jumped up and went, Oh, good. I get to talk to Rochelle because she will make me feel, and you don't even have to try, but you make me feel like this is a tough business, but hang on, you can do it. And and I was just so happy. It was like I knew when I talked to you, I was gonna feel good. You do it that. Is a, it is a miserable business. It is a <laughs> tough business. I don't recommend it to the lighthearted. I don't recommend it for anybody who wants to make a career out of it and could live financially off of it. Right. Um, it does happen for a few, but that's 1%. 
And, and, you know, I've said this all the time, it's managing expectations and what you want for your book. What do you want for your book? Listen, plenty of people make a very nice living and a success with self-publishing. They just keep knocking books out and knocking books out and they get a readership and they build. And, and I think that's one of the most important things is to keep writing because with every single book, you, if you get three readers, five readers, 10 readers, like I see even with my seventh book, like so many more, whether whether it's like followers on Instagram, comments, like people reaching out. I've heard so much about your book. Like it's just, it's slow, but it's growing, 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 growing. In recent years, not only are you managing a household and college kids, but you had a big move. And all the while, you're still putting out a novel every year like clockwork. That's not easy. How do you find creativity among the chaos? I have friends that have little kids at home. So I have two boys. They're twins. One is here in New York City. He's working for Morgan Stanley. One is in Miami. He's in real estate. They are in the working world. So I have an empty nest. So it's definitely like my days are free. Like I don't have like, you know, one of my closest author friends, Sam Woodruff, she's got younger kids and she's driving a carpool and she's doing this and she's doing that. And then she's in the middle of edits. And I, sometimes I can so sympathize with her and I'm like, wow, like I, you know, I don't have that anymore. And we moved. Yes. Almost two years ago, but I am very disciplined. My days are truly full of writing. I wake up, I do some type of a workout, my Pilates, my yoga, I go for a walk, and then I write. And I have an accountability spreadsheet that I try to write a thousand words a day. And sometimes I write them at seven in the morning. Sometimes I finish them at midnight. But that's, you know, barring the unforeseen, I'm just very disciplined. And especially when you're loving your story, it really helps. I finished my eighth book the end of September, because I knew that I wanted to be finished with it for launch. So I could focus on launch. And I just, I just know how to manage my time. I I, I can multitask. I'm just good at that. Like, it's just what, like, I, I know some people that just aren't good at it and it's not, not in a bad way. It's just like some things I'm just not good at. I am very good at multitasking and to-do lists, I think, and my husband and I fight about it all the time. And he's smiling over in the corner to-do lists can help you be productive because like, I just knock things off my to-do list. Like I find with my husband, I'm like, Oh, did you do so-and-so? Did you do so? Oh, I forgot to do this. Oh, I forgot to like, it just, you get shit done. Sorry. I said shit. It's all right. You can say that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And um, yeah. As I hear from my listeners that they are hungry for what authors do right. So beyond the to-do list, you're putting out a well-crafted quality novel over and over. Not easy. Do you set aside a specific timetable for creative prep? Do you outline? So I have the first draft of the eighth book done. So I am planning after this week, starting whatever Monday is, to go back to editing that eighth book. Okay. It's technically due February 1st to my to my editor. So I've given my slides. So I have November, December. I've, so I have three months yeah, to edit it. Great. Um, I'm also a fast writer. Um, I'm not a historical fiction writer, so I don't have to do all that crazy research when I admire these women and men so much. It's a lot of work. If I'm thinking about your listeners, every book is different. I've done the plotting, the pantsing, the outlining, and you'll see when you're into a story, sometimes your characters take you where you want them to go. But I will tell you, you will save yourself a lot of time putting together a really thorough synopsis. 
as much as we all can hate writing synopses, I don't know one writer that enjoys writing a synopsis. It's like impossible. It's like, it's like narrowing down your book into like one sentence is impossible. But once you can narrow your book down into one sentence and one you can, once you can have a really complete, detailed, thorough, layered synopsis, it really helps you write the story. And that doesn't mean you can't deviate from it. You can absolutely deviate from it, but it's a really great structure. It's a really great foundation. So I find that like the next book I'm writing, which is working title called The Inn, I had a very, very thorough outline and it just made the writing so much easier. So that's, that's one piece. I think you need to carve out time to write. Someone recently asked me in an interview, what was the worst advice someone gave you about writing? And I said, write every day. Cause I just don't believe that. Cause I don't believe that it's sometimes physically or mentally possible to write every single day. I mean, God forbid there's a family circumstance, a doctor's appointment, there's this, there's that. And then it's forced. I don't think you should go longer than a couple of days without writing, you know, barring the unforeseen. Thinking days or working days. Thinking about your plot, thinking about plot holes, thinking about your story, your characters, listening to music. Like music really helps me with my plot lines too. Talk to authors that they say synopsis and it means two to three pages. I've talked to people that say, no, I write a thorough synopsis and it's 10 to 20 pages. I talked to someone recently that said, mine is really more like 50 pages. It looks a lot like a really rough draft. Oh, wow. I would say a synopsis is like, if your book is like 350 pages, I think it's supposed to be like a certain percentage of that. I think mm-hmm. so. I don't know. I've never heard of more than 10 pages. And I'll tell you one thing, when I sent like a really, really long one to my agent, she was like, this is just too convoluted. She's like, I want like one or two pages. So, you know, everybody wants something different. Right. This is our third conversation on the podcast. So thought we'd have a little fun and do a lightning round music edition. Okay. So are you ready? Oh, God. Go Your ahead. number one go-to karaoke song. Seasons in the Sun. What's the song that takes you back to 17? Oh, God. Um, Sister Christian. God, I love that one. Isn't it amazing yeah. how that one comes on? It just brings up. It was the first one that popped into my head. And then I was going to go with the other one is Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. The song that reminds you of fun with friends. I'm not fun. Um, Fun with friends. (laughs) I'm really not fun. Fun with friends. I need help here. Fun with friends. What's yours? I think of like, come on, Eileen. Oh, I love it. Love that song. But don't do it for karaoke because it lasts way too long. The audience gets really tired of that middle part. I have stood on the stage for a very long time with that one. The song that injects confidence straight in your veins. So many songs. Okay, this is so embarrassing, but I am such like, I like like the mellower songs. Like any like Genesis, Phil Collins, Bruce Springsteen. Okay, Bruce Springsteen, like Thunder Road, Mm. Born to Run is very uplifting. Who's the artist whose work always resonates, always lands right with you? Probably Billy Joel, Phil Collins, Dave Matthews. But right now I'm really into Morgan Whalen. Wallen. Uh-huh. Don't, don't, don't kill me, people. But <laughs> Last Night is one of my favorite, favorite songs. That's like a pick-me-up song. The ultimate love song. I'm supposed to say, hey there, Delilah. Um, <laughs> there's like a hundred going through my head. Oh, what about um, your song, Elton John? Beautiful. Annie's okay. song, John Denver. And I'll tell you what my confidence pick me up is. 
like I sing it so loud, is Stone Cold Ponies, Linda Ronstadt, different drum. Really old. On my Spotify playlist for the book. Thank you, Rochelle. As I knew it would be a lot of fun. You're like a warm, cozy blanket. Thank you. To learn more, visit RochelleWeinstein.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support. 